carpet, we get kid, kid sermon time. Come on up. You can bring your masks if you want. You don't need your clipboards, but if you got a mask, bring it on up. If you didn't get a mask, they're in the lobby. When you leave today, you can grab one and take it with you. So I'm really excited today because we weren't really sure what we were going to be preaching on between finishing John and doing Christmas and before the anniversary. So Wesley said we could talk about our favorite stories in the Bible. And I'm really excited about that because he let me pick my favorite story for today. And my favorite story is about a woman named Esther. Okay? And Esther is in the Old Testament. Yeah, I know there's superheroes up there. Because Esther makes me think of a superhero. So these, these are my kids and my nephews. Two years ago, we were superheroes, and there's some villains too, because what's a great superhero without a villain to battle, right? So Esther makes me think of superheroes. So I thought, yeah, that's one of my favorite stories anyway. That's a great story to share with the kids. So I'm going to tell you about Esther, but i got to give you a little bit of backstory to kind of know what's going on, right? So Esther's this young woman who lives in the, in the uh, kingdom of Persia. And she has some stuff going on that you're going to find out through the story. But she... She comes into this story to be a part of a beauty pageant because this land is ruled by a man named King Xerxes, and he loves to party, and he loves having a beautiful queen as his bride. So he's partying with all his guy friends one day, and and probably multiple days because that's how they partied back then, multiple days. And he's partying, partying, and he decides he wants to show off his pretty lady. So he asks her to come to the party to show how beautiful she is to everybody, and she's like, hmm kind of enjoying my party here with my girlfriends I don't think I'll come and so because he's king he's like all right then you're not queen anymore takes her crown sends her on her way so he needs a new queen so they decide to have a beauty pageant throughout the land to find a new queen and this is where Esther comes in the story now Esther's kind of plain and simple like Peter Parker anybody know who Peter Parker is Spider-Man Okay, so she's kind of plain and ordinary. She's beautiful, but outside of that, there's nothing that special about her. And she's, um, she's an orphan. She has no parents to care for her. And so her, um, her cousin Mordecai is taking care of her. Now, he's older, so he's kind of more like an uncle, um, just like Peter Parker had his Uncle Ben and Aunt May to take care of him. So she reminds me of Spider-Man um, in that part of the story. Now, she comes to this beauty pageant, not knowing anybody, Nobody knows anything about her, and she has nothing. So she comes and she meets this guy, Haggai, and he's in charge of all the beauty contestants, and, and he likes her. He thinks she's pretty, and so he gives her special tools, like Batman. Don't know Batman? He's got the batarang, he's got the utility belt, he's got a bat car. I mean, there's no limit to his tools, right? And his tools give him strength and power, right? Without him, he's just a rich dude. He doesn't have any other kind of thing to offer, okay? So... So she gets, she gets these cosmetic treatments that are, that are um, making her extra beautiful because she's already beautiful. She gets these cosmetic treatments. She gets special food. She gets seven attendants to help her get beautiful. And we all know how nice it is to have help when you're trying to get pretty. And, and then she also gets a special place in the palace separate of all the other girls. Now, here's the thing. It gave her great power because she got chosen as queen. King Xerxes took one look at her and went, oh, yeah, that's nice. She'll be my queen and made her queen. Now, here's the other thing about Esther that nobody knows. She has a secret identity, just like Superman and a lot of our other favorite characters on the superhero front. There's a secret identity to Esther, but nobody knows. Nobody knows at all. She's a Jew, and the king is not a Jew. So Jews and Gentiles didn't really hang out. They certainly didn't get married. So this is something she's got to keep super secret. 
In the meantime, cousin Mordecai is still in the picture, but he's kind of hanging out outside the palace walls because nobody knows they're related. And he just wants to make sure she's okay and they're taking care of her and all that kind of stuff. While he's outside, he hears two bad guys plotting to kill the king. So we're already seeing some villains here, right? So Mordecai tells Esther. Esther tells the king. The king gets saved from being killed. And all of a sudden, Mordecai has kind of special favor, right? So we're going to hear more about that later. So now you've got the queen who's been chosen as queen. You've got Mordecai. Well, here's the big bad villain that comes into the story. Now, my villains up on the screen are my kids. They're not really villains, but those were our villains two years ago for Halloween. Now, Haman is way worse than these guys. Haman is real full of himself, and he wants everybody to bow down and worship him, but Mordecai's like, nah, I don't think so. That makes Haman mad. So Haman goes, you know what? I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. Not only am I going to get you, but I'm going to kill all your people because they know Mordecai's a Jew, but they don't know Esther's a Jew, okay? So he plans to kill the Jews, and he decides he, to go to the king. I want to kill the Jews. Just tell me how to do it. And he's like, all right, let's roll a dice, and it's called a poor, okay? It, it kind of probably is more of a dreidel, but it's a poor, and they roll the dice, and that's how they decide when the Jews are going to die. Isn't this terrible? It's like a movie, Okay, so the Jews are decided to be put to death in 11 months. In the meantime, Queen Esther's like, oh my gosh, these are my people. What am I going to do? Am I going to tell on myself and risk my life? Am I going to just keep quiet and let this happen? So here's where Esther reminds me of the Black Panther. He's the king of the Wakandan people, and he uses his throne and his royal blood to protect his people from the outside world, from destroying them for their resources. And so Queen Esther has to decide what to do. Now, when, when you wanted to approach the king, it didn't matter if you were the queen. You couldn't go just because you wanted to. So she had to create this fancy banquet. She actually created two fancy banquets. The first banquet, she asked King Xerxes and Haman to come sit with her. And she says, I have something really, really important to tell you. She gave them lots of good food, lots of good drink, made them really happy so they would say yes to the second meeting. So she decides to meet them the second meeting and, and just tell everything. But after that first meeting, as they're going home, Haman sees Mordecai, gets even more angry that, he won't, that, that Mordecai won't bow to him and says, that's it, you're done. You're dying in the morning. I'm going to kill you in the morning. I'm going to put you on a pole for all to see. So he goes to his house. In the meantime, King Xerxes is getting kind of sleepy, but he can't fall asleep. So he has his attendant read what's happened in the palace in the recent months. And he's reminded of Mordecai's rescuing of him by fooling that plot we heard about earlier. So he goes, hmm, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to honor Mordecai tomorrow. We're going to put him on a horse and just take him throughout the kingdom and praise him. So they come together in the morning, Haman and King Xerxes. And before Haman can even say a word, King Xerxes says, Haman, I'd like for you to get the finest horse, put Mordecai up on top of it, and parade him around the land. He needs to be worshipped and honored. Well, you bet Haman was angry about this. So he takes him around, shows him off to everybody. Now, the next day is this second banquet that has to happen. And this is where Esther reminds me of Wonder Woman. Because I don't know if you know the story of Wonder Woman, but she has to leave the safety and comfort of her people and her island to go do good in the world and rescue people. So, so Queen Esther has to take her role as queen in this foreign place for her. And she has to stand up and tell the truth. So she gives them lots of food and lots of delicious drink again. And they're standing there and she says, King Xerxes, I am a Jew. And he doesn't kill her. And she said, and if 
I am a Jew, and if this man wants to kill the Jews, that means this man, Haman, wants to kill me. And King Xerxes is like, mm, I kind of like you. I don't want that to happen. So I know what I'll do. Haman, you are to die. Haman dies on the same pole that he had planned to kill Mordecai on. Isn't that crazy? So crazy. So now, here's the problem. The Jews are still supposed to be killed. The king can't reverse it. So he makes Mordecai the right-hand man. Mordecai sets forth an edict that the Jews can fight back when it's time for battle. And when it's time for battle, the Jews fight back. They win. They're victorious. The queen is still queen. Mordecai is honored in the highest seat next to the king. And everything works out. Isn't that amazing? Here's the coolest part of the story. God's name isn't anywhere in this book of Esther. Yet God is all throughout the book. Because have you ever heard of a coincidence? Esther just happens to show up and be favored and get all the special treatment so that she can be chosen as queen, where she can stand up and protect the king when she hears about the death plan and also her people. And then Mordecai, who Haman wants to kill, winds up being in, more, in, in Haman's position of honor. All of this happens because Esther had the most powerful source of strength out of all the superheroes we know. It wasn't a spider bite that gave it to her. It wasn't powerful strength because she was muscular. It wasn't um, her bloodline. It wasn't all these things that we see. It wasn't gadgets. It was just that she had God on her side. So you know what that means? If that power was available to Esther, it's also available to you. Now, the really fun part and why you have masks this morning is a great festival was established called the Festival of Purim. It's really hard to say. Purim, where people every year gather for two days, Jewish people every year gather for two days, and they wear costumes, and they give gifts, and they feast, and it's a joyous occasion to remember the deliverance of the Jews. Because the greatest power that any of us can have can come from God. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much um, for the Bible, for, for evidence of your goodness and your glory in these pages. But it's so fun too, God, to see you use our everyday things to show us who you are. We thank you for Esther being brave and standing up when she thought she might die. And being brave and knowing that her strength and power was in you. So there was no need to fear. We thank you for the way you looked after her and the way you looked after Mordecai. And we just thank you so much for these kids here today who are going to leave here knowing a little bit more that their power comes from you. For it's in your name I pray. Amen. All right. Well, thank you, Jamie, for telling that story. Kids, you can go back to your seat. I think you have some activities um, that have been given to you on your way in. Hey, if you're visiting with us uh, for the first time this morning, uh, this is what we call Family Sunday. Typically, we have this fantastic uh, children's program going on downstairs, our children's ministry happening downstairs. But the fifth Sunday of, uh, or at least every fifth Sunday, whenever they fall, uh, we always welcome the kids upstairs and families worship uh, together. And uh, we do a children's message, and you might see children up here on stage singing um, on the worship team and greeting you at the door. And, and we as a church believe, we, we, we believe wholeheartedly in the, in, in the importance of 
um, gathering uh, together in age-appropriate environments so that we can learn the stories of Jesus Christ and how they apply to our lives. There are some ways that the, that, that the scriptures apply to your life as an adult uh, that your kids might not understand, and there's some things that apply to their life as a child that, that you might not understand or that you don't have to deal with or go through. And so typically we are uh, kind of separated upstairs and downstairs, but we believe that the whole family is growing together and learning the scriptures together and learning to walk in the way of the Lord together. And um, another thing that happens good on these Sundays is that it gives our people who volunteer downstairs and give us so much of their time. It gives them a little bit of a break down there, and they get to um, have this Sunday Sunday off from serving downstairs. And so I, I, um, I always love to say, because hopefully we have most of the people that volunteer downstairs uh, up here uh, on fifth Sundays, I always like to say thank you so much uh, for the time that you give downstairs in making a kingdom difference in the lives of the kids. You're not just telling stories and entertaining kids, um, but you are teaching kids the stories of the power of God, like we see in the story of Esther, um, that works through human beings and transforms environments and situations around them. And so these kids, because of what they're learning downstairs, are ultimately going to change the environment in their classroom, in their homes, in their neighborhoods, and when they're hanging out with their friends because of what happens here at Tri-Cities Church. We're so thankful that we get to be the church that does that. Hey, this morning, and I, I promise you I'm going to get into the message this morning, uh, I hope. Uh, I'm going to try to not to sit here too long. Um, but this morning I woke up realizing that this is the last day of the year. And I am so thankful uh, for this year and all that we've seen God do this year at Tri-Cities Church. Jamie kind of alluded to at the beginning that this year has had its challenges. I was going through the line at Marshall's um, uh, or, or one of those stores, TJ Maxx, one of those stores over at the marketplace. And the lady said to me, she said, she said, I hope you have a happy new year. I said, you too. She said, and she had this kind of strange look on her face. And she said, boy, this year has been hard. I said, you too? And, uh, and so, I, you know, we, we kind of had this moment where we realized that together this year has been hard. It's been hard for Tri-Cities Church in some ways, some challenging times for Tri-Cities Church in some ways as we have uh, grieved together, we have mourned together, we have gone through things both as a whole community. Also, we've, we've um, gone through things individually in our lives, just different challenges that we've faced in our lives that we've shared with people who are part of our community here at Tri-Cities Church. And I woke up this morning just so thankful that we get to be the church, right? Not just Tri-Cities Church, but that we get to be the church, this community of believers that exist all over the world, that is united by our belief in Jesus Christ, that are walking together with one another in a community. And we're not a community like ordinary communities that we see in the world. Because if you think about communities in the world, like you could go up and you can join a tennis club or you can join a, I don't know, what kind of clubs do you have in the, in the you know, today? You can go on meetup.com and find different groups that you can go hiking with or foodie groups that you can go eating with with. You can have friends in other places in this world, but you can't have a community. You can't have a friendship like that that you find in the church and other places in this world because this is a community that's headed somewhere, right? This isn't just a group of people that get together because we like each other and want to hang out with each other. This is a community of people who are united by our bond in Jesus Christ, who's already conquered Satan, sin, and every enemy that we could ever have. And so there's no obstacle too big for our God. There's nothing hindering us from progressing God's mission in this world. 
world. We just got to say yes to God. And this, the church, is a community that's doing something and going somewhere. We're not just eating together, hiking together, or playing tennis together. We're not just being a community there to make life through this world easier for one another. We are going somewhere. And so here at the end of 2017, I am encouraged and thankful that we get to be the church together, a community that's going somewhere, that's doing things for God's glory, things that will last eternally and that will make an eternal difference, an everlasting difference in this world. So I'm excited about 2018 and all that we will see God do in this year. Hey, before we get into the message this morning, or at least our second message this morning, as Jamie uh, told the story of Esther. By the way, if you've never met Jamie, Jamie is our children's pastor here at Tri-Cities Church. She is often downstairs with our kids, uh, teaching them, and is doing a fantastic job. Jamie has been here on staff at Tri-Cities Church. She's been at Tri-Cities Church a long time, but she's been here on staff at Tri-Cities Church a little over a year and um, has done great things to help our children grow in the Lord. But, hey, let's share in a prayer. And I I just want to challenge you this. Oh, yeah. Woo. I tell Jamie all the time that her job is a lot harder than mine um, because what she does, she she is having to um, manage a team of people. Um, which is a challenging thing to do, to have this team of people and you orchestrate many moving parts to make it work together so that our kids can come to know the story of Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, it, it is an amazing thing that she gets to do and that she does so eloquently and does well. Um, hey, before we pray, I just want you to think about as you, as you get to the end of this year, maybe it's something that God has done in your life and that you have a praise um, to God for, or maybe it's something that you've been sitting on and praying about and believing God for, uh, and you're still holding on to that. Or maybe it's a hope or dream or opportunity in 2018 that you're hoping will come true. And I want you to bring that to mind. And what, what I want you to do is not bring that just to mind as, as um, something that you are going to sit before God and you're going to say, God, do this or else. But I want you to bring that to mind and trust God to do what God's will is with that situation. Um, Because God is not our genie in a bottle, the one that we get to shake, rub, and he does the things that we want him to do. That's not the way it works. But God ultimately has a will in this world that is far uh, wiser than ours. His knowledge far surpasses ours. And even through hardship, rejection, right, and obstacles in our life, God is able to bring about his good will in this world, as we see and are going to see even further in the story of Esther. So bring that thing to mind, but bring it to mind not as a God saying, saying to God, do this or else, but bring it to mind as a way of saying, God, I'm trusting you here with this in my life. And let's pray. God, we do give you thanks this morning that we get this opportunity to dive into the book of Esther and to see this story where you, through a series of twists and turns, ironies and coincidences, you bring about your will in this world. And God, we hold on to our will. We hold on to our desires, our wishes, our hopes, our dreams, and we lift them up before you. And not only do we lift them up before you, but we entrust you with them. God, we release our hands from them, and we release them into your hands. 
and we trust that you are the all-wise God, that you are omnipotent, that you have all power in your hand, that you know the end from the beginning, that your wisdom far surpasses our wisdom, that your knowledge far surpasses our knowledge. And so, God, here we stand trusting you with our lives, believing that you know best, and ultimately you're able to bring about the fulfillment of your will, your plan, and goodness in this world. God, heal us from our past, our hurts, our pains. We hand those over to you. God, we trust you for our futures. Direction and paths and doors being opened. And God, we praise you no matter what 2018 looks like. We praise you because we get to be the church, a community of people that aren't just holding hands, singing songs, enjoying one another's company, but a community of people that are headed somewhere doing not just good in this world, but making a kingdom difference in this world that is everlasting and that cannot be stopped or hindered. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, I love this story of Esther. In fact, when Jamie told me that she was going to tell the story of Esther, I wasn't as familiar with this story as I would like to have been. Uh, and so I started reading the story, and I started to kind of fall in love with the story of Esther. It is a fantastic story in the Bible with all kinds of twists and turns in it. And in this story, we see it is the epitome of God's providence, right? God, God's hand is all throughout the book of Esther. Now, there's some that have read this story, and they've thought this story had no business being in the Bible. As Jamie said, it is the only book in the Bible that does not mention God's name. And there are some questionable things that happen in the book of Esther. And so there are some that have looked at this book, and they have said, this book was included in the Bible by mistake. It was a mistake that it was, not, that it was in there. I am Xing it out of my Bible. I don't want to read it. There are some people that believe that it shouldn't have been there. But when we read it carefully and we begin to see, we see that God's hand is all throughout the book of Esther on every page. In fact, the leaving God's name out of this book was a technique that was used by the author, who is anonymous, but the author of this book, who chose to leave God's name out of the book so that we would search for God in this book. And ultimately, we discover that God is on every page of this book. It's a reminder that when we go through life and we see situations and things that we go through in life, that we can't see where God is present there. We can't see where God's hand is at work in our lives, and we can't see where God's hand is at work in our situation or how this could possibly be God's will. When we search for God, we see that God is behind the scenes. Sometimes he's right there on the scene, and he's directing and orchestrating situations and this world ultimately for his goodness. And I came across this uh, quote this week of this, um, um, by um, um, uh, Vernon McGee, and he, he talks about providence. And I just want to read this definition of providence for you. He says, providence is the means by which God directs all things, both animate and inanimate, seen and unseen, good and evil, towards a worthy purpose, which means his will must finally 
prevail, right? So he talks about providence as God directing all things in this world. Now, when I read this definition of providence, this is, this is just me and uh, maybe some of my immaturity coming out, but I read it and I'm like going through a situation, right? I'm going through a hard time in life and maybe it's a hard time in life and you feel like people are watching you and not really tracking with you, but rather are laughing at you or maybe making fun of you or, or going like, I'm glad I'm not her or I'm glad I'm not him. And, and, and there's part of me that like reads this definition of providence and says God is directing all things and I'm believing that by faith and I'm saying just watch right oh and I'm like uh, you know I can't wait till next week watch next week God's going to work this situation out for my good and and those people that were laughing at me or those people that just weren't tracking with me or thought I was cursed with God they're going to see that God was in this the whole time and I was trusting God and that my faith will be proven to be right and they'll be proven to be wrong and that's what at least that's the way my mind wants to go when I think about providence. Um, But what we see in the scriptures and we see in reality in our lives that when it says that God is working out all things for our good, that does not mean that the good is going to become apparent tomorrow, right? It does not mean that God is working out all things for your good. So I'm in this situation. It's going to be over next week. Next week going to be totally different than this week because of God's providence, because God is at work directing things in my life and changing situations. Rather, God's providence says that God is able to, because he has a long-term vision of this world. He knows the end from the beginning. God is able to ultimately work things out for our good. So he's able to take situations and hardships and struggles where we say, I just can't see God in this. God can't be present in this. And this thing is not turning around rapidly, right? It seems to be digressing, right? It's not, it's not happening the way, you know, we're not making any progress here, God, right? This situation isn't turn, changing. I'm still in pain. I'm still struggling. I'm still going through hardship. Providence says God is ultimately working these things out for good. And we, um, we, like, there's that scripture in Hebrews where it talks about people who had faith in God. I think it's Hebrews 11 or 12, um, where it talks about people who had faith in God and ultimately did not see with their own eyes what God promised them. We might not see in our lifetime Right, with our own lives, the good that comes out of situations. But providence says we trust God. We have a different outlook because God is able to see the end from the beginning. God has his long-term plan, and he's able to bring about his will in this world. Now, when we get into the book of Esther, I promise we're going to get there, we see that this book is the epitome of providence in Esther's life. Now, Esther was this beautiful woman, and the Bible is is very clear about Esther's beauty. In fact, if you look in Esther chapter 2, I'm going to pick up reading in verse 7. Listen to what it says. It says, Mordecai, remember Mordecai, um, Jamie told us about Mordecai. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah who, uh, who he had brought up in, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This woman who was known as Esther, meaning, uh, it means star, right? That kind of clues you in to Esther, like, like Esther was a star, right? So that was kind of her nickname. She was she was this beautiful woman. She was a star. She radiated. Uh, so this woman, who, had been, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Now, I, 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 maybe I'm just being a man, but like, I'm like, you know, I've seen like plays and stuff from biblical times, and I've seen the way women dressed in biblical times, and I'm going, this lovely figure, like, how, what? She wasn't wearing yoga pants, right? Um, nobody, like, how did people know this? 
Um, I think the Bible's cluing us in that Esther was a curvy woman, like from under her robe, like she was curvy. All right, so she had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Let's move on from there. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father, y'all know what I'm talking about, when her father and mother died. So Mordecai adopted Esther, this curvy, beautiful woman that was a star that got the attention of people around her. It says, when the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. And Esther was also taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, he provided her with her beauty treatments and special food. He assigned her seven female attendants select from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. And so here, Esther's beauty is progressing her, um, her status in this world. Esther went from a forgotten no one, an orphan, one without a mother or father. And Mordecai, surely, because we look at Mordecai, we're like, oh, he's such a good guy. He took her in. Mordecai was trying to do the right thing and be responsible, and he did. I'm I'm not going to diss Mordecai, but ultimately, Mordecai wanted her out of his house. And so here comes this opportunity, and she goes, and she's taken to the king, and she's put in this beauty pageant. Now, I I imagine, and maybe this is, this is just my imagination. The Bible doesn't say this totally, um, but my imagination is that because she had been nicknamed Star, because the Bible mentioned when they talk about her, they don't say uh, Esther was an intelligent woman with such a bright personality. Everybody that met her was attractive. Because they talk about her curvy nature and her beauty, right, that from the time she was young, that's what she was known for, right? That, and people had told her from the time that she was young that your beauty is going to take you places, that because of your looks, you you are going to go places. Your appearance is going to secure for you a future. You know, there are times in our lives that people tell us stuff um, from the time that we are young and we believe it. And, it. and it might be true, but it shapes our understanding. It shapes our ability to dream of something other than that for ourselves. For Esther, she had been told from the time she was young that she was a star, that she was beautiful, that she had any success in this world. Her success was going to be driven by her beauty, by her looks, by her appearance, that she would get places if she capitalized on that. So Esther was confident in her beauty. And so she saw that this was a way for her to secure a position for herself, right? Secure a future for herself. And so here her beauty is securing a future for herself. She's not able to see beyond that. And she's taken into the, uh, the king's harem, right? And she's entered into this beauty pageant. Ultimately, she becomes the queen. And then after becoming the queen, this whole thing begins to take place where Mordecai uh, overhears these people who are plotting to kill the king. And then, um, then, he, then he goes and reveals this. And, but Mordecai is never really thanked for it. But Haman is elevated to this position of authority. Haman gets this position of authority. Ultimately, he decides he wants to kill. Mordecai and the rest of the Jews, and now Esther's on the inside. And so what happens here is that she saw her beauty as an opportunity to progress her own future, to secure her own status, to, uh, to ultimately um, 
Ultimately, her beauty was a blessing for herself, right? Something that she was claiming for herself. But God had a much bigger plan than that for Esther, right? When God calls us, when God sees us, when God chooses us, God calls us, chooses us, sees us as something much bigger than what we're able to see for ourselves. God's, God, God always wants to elevate and expand our understanding of our purpose and what God is, can, and is doing through us in this world. You see, Esther saw her beauty as a way of securing her future, securing her status, making her uh, up where she would have everything that she needed in this world. But God saw something bigger. Esther was not just a beauty queen, right? She was God's representative in this world through which God was choosing to do something bigger. And when we see uh, our relationship with God, what we got to see as well is that we are not just whatever you, you, I mean, you name it, right? We are not just, but God wants to do something bigger in our lives. So let's just say you're a teacher. You are not just a teacher, right? You are God's representative in the classroom through which God wants to make himself known, right? If you're a businessman or woman, you are God's representative in the marketplace through which God wants to make himself known known, right? If you are a doctor or a nurse in the medical field, you are God's representative in the medical field through which God wants to show us what God looks like when God helps hurting people. God wants to make himself known. If you're a mother or a father, you are God's representative in the home, in the community, in your family, through which God shows us what it looks like when God parents a person. Just as Esther was not just a beauty queen, she was God's representative through which God wanted to do bigger things in this world, more than just securing Esther's future. And when we lose our concept of bigger, right, when we lose this concept of God wanting to do something bigger for us other than just secure our future, bigger for us other than give us a job so we can pay our bills, right? When God wants to do something bigger for us other than give us an opportunity so that we can buy a car and not maybe not struggle like our parents did. Maybe you say, my parents struggle. All I want to do in life is I just don't want to struggle like we struggled growing up. Or maybe you, want to, you say, I just want to live out a different future than the future I than the past I had as a child growing up. Or maybe there's just this American dream that's captured your heart where you just want a house, picket fence, and five cars. That, is that what the American dream has turned into? Just the three cars, right? They're three cars, three cars. Uh, and, and so maybe, maybe that's you where you have these dreams of what you want to do and be in this world. But God wants to do something bigger. And when we lose our bigger, here's the thing, right? When we lose our bigger, we lose our purpose in this world, and we end up living empty lives that ultimately continue a cycle and play into the brokenness of our paths. When we lose our sense of bigger, ultimately we continue the cycle of the path that said to us, you sure are a pretty little girl. You will, if you use your beauty, if you use your good looks, if you use your intelligence, if you use your attractive personality, 
right? If you work with your hands, if you just learn to be quiet and shut your mouth and know your role, right? The brokenness of our past begins to creep in our future when we fail to see that God has something bigger for our lives. God wants to do something with you through your life, through which he reveals himself, and the world gets to see what God looks like when he works through a beauty queen, when he works through a doctor, when he works through a teacher, when he works through a mother, a father, a businessman or woman, a salesman or woman, right? The world needs to see what God looks like in this world, and God has chosen to do that through ordinary people like Esther when he gives them a vision for something bigger. I love in this story, if you flip over a couple of uh, pages in your Bible, if you're tracking with us tonight, it'll be on the slides. This story in Esther chapter 4, when this plot to kill the Jews gets revealed and Mordecai is like sending messages to Esther, telling her um, about it. And it, it, it pick up, uh, I'll pick up in, in verse 9. It says, Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for a man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courts without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends his golden scepter to them and spares their life. So, um, so Mordecai is like, Esther, you've been placed here for this purpose. Like you're in God's, or not in God's, in King Xerxes' palace for a purpose. And Esther's going, you think I got a privileged position? I hadn't seen that joker in 30 days, right? In months, I hadn't seen King Xerxes. And if I go in there and he doesn't extend his scepter to me, I don't know what kind of world this is that we're living, they were living in. But he doesn't extend his scepter to me. I'm in trouble, right? I, I might be the queen. I might be beautiful. But my beauty can only take me so far is the message she sends back to Mordecai. But then it says, but uh, verse, verse 12, it says, When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. So he's going, hey, Mordecai's going, don't think your life isn't on the line just because you, you might be pretty, but your, your beauty's only going to get you so far. Don't think that you're in the king's house and, and that he won't kill you too and hold another beauty pageant and get for himself another queen. Uh, and so Mordecai says, you know, he's, he's beginning to see this thing. He's beginning to see God's providence at work in Esther's story. And he's trying to connect the dots for her. And in verse 11, let's see what it says. He says, for you remain silent at a time like this, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you, so he's saying, I trust that God is going to work this out no matter if you if, if, you, if you participate in the plan and purpose of God for your life, in other words, we can't ruin the plan and purpose of God for our lives. So he says, I believe that deliverance is going to come from another place, even if you don't do it. He says, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai saying, I don't I don't know if you're seeing this, but it looks like God placed you here for a specific purpose 
for such a time as this. You know, there are times in our life that we find ourselves in situations and it's God's hand at work who has put us there for such a time as this. God always has a purpose for your life in whatever situation you find yourself in. Esther's going, eh, no way God's involved in this situation. And Mordecai's going, yes, God is involved in this, this situation and you've been placed there for such a time. It says, then look at what it says. <laughs> Y'all saw that hand flip. I did a little, sorry. <clears throat> <laughs> oh my goodness all right so and then in, um sorry and in esther chapter 4 4 verse 15 right then esther sent this reply to mordecai go gather all the jews who are in susa and fast for me do not eat or drink for three days um three days night or day three days night or day i and my attendants will fast as you do when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. You see, Esther, once she had been convinced that this was God's will for her to be there for such a time as this, to bring salvation and deliverance from the Jews, she was willing to walk in God's will, even if it cost her her life. Man, that's a hard word for us. That when we recognize that God has a purpose for our lives, that we choose that we're willing to walk in that purpose even if it costs us. No matter what the cost might be. And so here we have Esther as this model of faith for us as a woman that is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, that has done a lot of things that are wrong, but she chooses to say yes to God. And when she chooses to say yes to God, God is able to do incredible things through her life. And not just that, God reveals that she was positioned for such a time as this. And this story always reminds me that in the midst of brokenness and in the midst of less than ideal situations, that God's will isn't to come in and zap it and fix it and make it right. God's will is to come in and act through human characters, actors in the plan of God who are given their script by God, who are reading and studying their script that God has given who are discerning how God is calling them to act and live out their lives. And ultimately, God brings about change and transformation in our world through people who say yes to God. You see, Esther could have turned and walked away, and God, because he's so powerful and because he's in control, he could have raised up someone else. But Esther chose to say yes to God, and that is the reason we're talking about her today. Not because she's just some hero that is to be praised, but because she's a model for generations of what it looks like when a person recognizes God's purpose for their lives and says yes to 
God. And this is my prayer for Tri-Cities Church in 2018, is that we will say yes to God as a community, that we will learn to listen for God's voice, that we will be steadfast in the scriptures, that we will begin our days reading the Bible and in prayer, that we will spend our days meditating and reflecting on God's word, that we will busy ourselves remembering scripture because God has promised that he's going to write his word on our heart and that we'll carry it with us, that we will spend our time with our eyes wide open with compassion becoming a characteristic that we have in our heart that begins to shape our steps and order the directions we go and the opportunities we seek, that we won't be a community that's so busy pursuing our own agenda and the things that we've set for our own life that we miss what God wants to do in our church and through our church, that we will be a people who are steadfast, recognizing that the things of this world that we can gain for ourselves, the pursuits that we chase after are temporary things that ultimately will disintegrate, that will grow old, that will wear out, that will fail, but the word of God stands forever, and that the will of God, when it's enacted to our life, makes through our lives, makes an everlasting change, that we'll be a people with the right perspective of what God wants to do, and that we'll pursue after the things that ultimately really have meaning and value in this world, which is saying yes to God, doing his will, and pursuing his plan in this world, and that when we do that, that when we do that, the community around us will see God's light through this church. That they will know that there is hope in this world because of this church. And that they will press in to God and pursue him alongside us because of the witness of this church. And that's my prayer for us in 2018, is that as we see God's hand providentially at work in our world, that we will join in what he's doing and participate in his holy work by giving him a firm yes. You know, every Sunday morning we um, share in communion on Sunday mornings. That's what these four tables around the room are here for. And when we share in communion, when we come to these tables, there's bread and juice. The bread symbolizes Jesus' body that was broken for us. And the juice, his blood that was spilled for us on the cross. In fact, the cross is, is in a sense, reenacted before us when we come into a time of communion. But every time we come into a time of communion, at least my mind is brought back to the moments before the cross when Jesus said yes. When Jesus, knowing all that was coming, knowing all that it meant, knowing the pain that he would feel, the abandonment from God that he would experience, he gave God his yes. And God took that and brought about the salvation of the world. You know, God is able to multiply the effect of our yes. He's able to do incredible things when we give him a yes. And so I want to challenge you this morning that as we share in communion, as you make your way to one of these four tables, whenever you feel ready and comfortable, whenever you had your, uh, your dealings with God, if you will, 
um, I want to challenge you to give him a firm yes on this, the last day of 2017, so that going into 2018, we as a community will see what God is able to do when we say yes. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to gather in this place and to explore this story of Esther. And God, it's such a peculiar story, but a powerful one that reveals to us your redemptive power, that you're able to take situations that seem outside of your control, situations that seem hopelessly broken, and you're able to position people in those situations for your glory. And God, I'm thankful that Esther lived out genuine faith in you, that although she was hesitant to say yes, that she was worried about what her yes meant and what it might cost, that she still said yes to you. And because of that, the Jews were saved, and many people have come to faith and belief in you as a result of it. And so, God, I just pray that you will multiply the effect of our yes in this world, That as we as a community of individuals come to you and say, God, whatever you would have for my life, I will do it. I will give you my yes. That as we come to you and say that and do that, God, that we will see you doing incredible things in our world to bring about change and transformation in this community. And that the mission of God will be extended because of what we do. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.